I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 21, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, by Randy Engel, volume 4, pages 946 to 953. This podcast isn't my personal venting form, ranting venue, or self-therapy session, but for the purpose of ministering to all of you in my audience, and so I will try to do that better and more gently and lovingly from now on, and also more slowly, so as to not rattle off like a machine gun at you and enable you to understand me better, as my colleagues and friends in the DOLW podcast Mike and Teresa have suggested to me that I should do. Whether I will always succeed in that is another story and remains to be seen. You be the judges of that, and I'm sure that they will let me know too if I don't sometimes. So now, to speak just to you younger homosexuals, especially, but also to older homosexuals and pederasts in the church, as lovingly and gently and slowly as I'm able to do. Jesus invites all of you to come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Matthew 11:28 to 30 and said in reply to the Pharisees and their scribes who complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners, Luke 5:30-32, and said in the parable of the two sons, What is your opinion? A man had two sons, He came to the first and said, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not. But afterwards he changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, Yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? The crowd answered, The first. And Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Matthew 21, 28 to 31. But none of us who are coming with our burdens to Jesus for rest get to also hang on to all of our old sinful ways and practices and continue doing them because there is no sense or point in our coming to Jesus if we are going to keep right on doing that and following Jesus in quotes while actually keep following the world at the same time and trying to have our cake and eat it too and have it both ways. Doesn't that sound reasonable and logical even to you in the homosexual community inside the church and outside of it as lovingly, gently, and fairly as I'm able to put it to you? If you are just going to decide right and wrong for yourselves and not care what the church says about right and wrong and morality and go on and go right on doing whatever you want to do even in the church 
why bother with the church at all, but just stay out in the world and keep doing all of that that you care to and are able to do with, to your heart's content and stop trying to have it both ways. We come to Jesus in the church in order to have something different than we have in the world and reform and change our lives. But that won't be possible if there are all of the same sins going on in the church as are going on in the world. And the church is really no different than the rest of the world. That is why Catholic church attendance in Europe is so low because the Europeans look at all of these things that are going on in the church, the financial corruption, the sex abuse scandals, the rotten and mediocre and incompetent men who are being made bishops, are being made priests, bishops, and cardinals in the church and at their own priests and bishops and say, why should we bother with or waste any more time on the church when you guys are as bad as, if not far worse than we are? That is why the mafiosi believe that there is no inconsistency between their criminal activities and their being good Catholics, since they look at all of the corruption and perversion going on in the church and say, we fit right in here and continue with their criminal practices while professing to have the Catholic faith. That is why there is so much cynicism against and rejection of Catholicism in the world, and people are turning away from the Catholic Church and going into fundamentalist Protestant denominations and reading the tracts of Jack Chick and listening to him believing him and his ilk about the Catholic Church and calling it the great harlot of Babylon or becoming Satanists and joining the Church of Satan or becoming atheists or otherwise abandoning the church in droves and hordes like lemons, lemmings following each other off a cliff or rats abandoning a sinking ship. No doubt I have drifted into ranting and rattling on and ungenerous again, but I'm doing the best that I can with this. Do you and the homosexual community in or outside of the church really believe that it is fair and consistent with people in the church for heterosexuals to have to abstain from adultery, fornication, premarital sex, masturbation, sodomy, and other sexual sins and be wrong when they don't. But homosexuals don't have to abstain from anything that they want to do and aren't wrong no matter what they do, according to themselves anyway, and is actually wrong according to them to ever call them wrong and a defamation against them and violation of their civil rights. Because that sounds like a double standard to me. Why isn't it called hate speech to call heterosexual sins sins, but only hate speech to call homosexual sins sins? That is more double standard. Even assuming that homosexuality is entirely natural according to corrupted nature and all of our corrupt natures, are we called to go right on being natural and living as we see fit? Or are we called to rise above our purely natural state with God's help and ascend to a higher plane of earthly life and eventually life in heaven. If natural living is all that we should care about or aspire to, racism also comes naturally to some people, black, white, and every other color. And racial discrimination is people is doing what is right in their own eyes as our vandalism, 
rape, bestiality, serial killing, orgies, prostitution, child pornography, the white sex slave trade, and every sick thing that you and I or anyone can think of. There is no way to talk politely and nicely about these things because they aren't polite or nice things to consider, but are very ugly things. So if homosexuality should be in the church and accepted just because it is natural, then all of these other things should be in the church and accepted for the same reason. And if you homosexuals get to have your way on everything and nobody can oppose you without violating your civil rights, in quotes, and becoming homophobic bigots, in quotes, how can that, uh, how can that not also open the door to pederasts, child pornographers, animal sexual lovers, and everybody else who following your lead want their rights too, and to be accepted in the church? And then the Catholic Church really would be the great harlot of Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah, and not just in the anti-Catholic minds of Jack Chick and his ilk. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways be mindful of him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will mean health for your flesh and vigor for your bones. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. And there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, and yet he will be punished if he follows it. For his perverted conscience may arise from his desertion of God. Or there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12. And all we as sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. But if everyone's going their own way and doing what is right in their own eyes and ignoring and disobeying what God and the church have to say about anything is what we should all actually be doing, then none of those verses above matter anymore or mean anything at all. Jesus didn't say to the woman caught in adultery after he had dispelled the crowd ready to stone her by saying, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Go on sinning, but go and sin no more. John 8, 1 to 11. He says to all of us who are sinning, go and sin no more. And says to the Russians who are persecuting and beating up and killing homosexuals, and to all of the people who are doing those things to homosexuals, what he said to the crowd that was ready to stone that adulterous woman that day, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Because you can't fight a sin with a sin, and persecuting, beating up, and killing homosexuals or anyone is a sin. Man is biologically an animal, as Satanism says. But if he were only just another animal, the same as the rest of us, the same as the rest, he would be living exactly the same as they do and defecating in fields or urinating on fire hydrants or cannibalizing those of their own, those of our own kind as goldfish and black widow spiders do.
and would have no culture or art or music or civilization or intelligence whatsoever. If we can have all of these things which raise us above the level of animals without all of it being just superficiality, politeness and pretentiousness, as Satanists believe, then we can also have morality and right and wrong to further raise us above the level of animals without any of that being superficial, merely polite or pretentious either. Those who reduce man to just an animal for their own pleasure also reduce him to just an animal for others to persecute, torture, beat up, and kill people, the Russians toward homosexuals, Nazis to Jews, Klansmen to black people, etc. Because you can't have it both ways and have to have the bad along with the good. We must reform the Catholic Church and make it a more robust church, as my colleague and friend Teresa says, to end this name-calling and disrespect of the church as the great harlot of Babylon, except among die-hard bigots, as much as possible. <coughs> if I still haven't succeeded in being loving and gentle enough to homosexuals or slowing down my speech enough due to my enthusiasm about it, I can only try it better next time on both and offer my explanation on the former now. I don't want to be too harsh or too general so as not to get through to people either, but of course probably won't succeed as well in that balance as Teresa or Mike does. The most loving man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, was harsh and apparently unloving toward some people and called them whited sepulchres and a brood of vipers and asked them, how shall you escape damnation? And told them, you are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. And you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You cross land and sea to make one disciple, and when you have made him, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves. And I'm not even interested in trying to love some people better than he did, which I couldn't do anyway but I'll do the best that I can. Jesus also said about those who nailed him to the cross and were gathered around to watch him die and mock him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And who are the only people who don't know what they're doing? The stupid and insane. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Proverbs 14.7 Translation don't waste your time talking with an idiot. Jesus also referred in a parable to foolish maidens who had to go out to get oil for their lamps and so missed the arrival of the bridegroom and were locked out when they came back from the wedding chamber, meaning those who aren't prepared for Jesus' coming. Matthew 25, 11 to 25, 1 to 13. So some harshness or actually tough love and calling some people stupid is evidenced and recommended even in the Bible and the teachings of Jesus to try to provoke them into smartening up. And now my reading from The Right of Sodomy, Homosexuality and the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Ingle, Volume 4, pages 946 to 953. After graduation in 1964, 
Gergen entered Mount St. Bernard Seminary in Dubuque, but was turned out of the seminary in 1968, his senior year, by Bishop, Bishop Joseph M. Bueller of Sioux Falls. The ordinary discovered pictures of male nudes in Gergen's room. Having been expelled from St. Bernard's, Gergen managed to latch on to a well-connected Dominican friar by the name of Father Benedict Ashley, former Winston Ashley at St. Rose. In 1970, Gergen was accepted as a novice at St. Rose. Father Ashley, like Gergen, had also come into the Dominican order under questionable circumstances. As a young man, he was reported to have worked for the Daily Worker in Chicago, the official party organ of the Communist Party USA. He then experienced a conversion and entered the Dominican order in August 1941. He was ordained in June 1948. Father Ashley worked himself up from a faculty member to director of vocations and director of studies at St. Rose Seminary. One of Father Ashley's students who took his course on the history of ancient philosophy said that instead of the teachings of Plato and Aristotle, he and other students were exposed to a constant diet of discourses on Marxism and dialectical materialism. Under Father Ashley's tenure, a number of Orthodox faculty members were removed from their job, including Father Alfred Wilder, who was found to be incompetent, but nevertheless was immediately snatched up by Dominican officials to teach in Rome, and Father John F. McDonald, who after his dismissal also went to Rome to teach. When the Dominicans closed shop in Dubuque, Father Ashley went to St. Louis. Thanks to Ashley's backing, Gorgon experienced a rapid rise in the order. He made his first profession on December 19, 1971. One year later, he received his PhD in systematic theology from the Dominican Aquinas Institute of Theology. His doctoral dissertation was on the concept of person in the thought of Teilhard de Chardin. Amazingly, while he was still a student, Gergen was made director of studies for MA and PhD programs at the specific request of Father Ashley, who had chosen Father Gergen as his heir apparent. This made Father Donald Gergen the first Dominican in the history of the order ever to be made director of studies while still a student. Even St. Thomas Aquinas did not qualify for the honor. In 1974, one year before his ordination at St. Raphael's Cathedral in Dubuque, Gergen published The Sexual Celibate, an apologia for homosexuality that was based on notes from his lectures to seminary students at St. Rose and the Aquinas Institute. The Sexual Celibate promotes the homosexual continuum theories of the Alfred Kinsey decries homophobia, advances the cause of homosexual unions, defends masturbation for all, including the celibate priest, and claims that homosexuality can exist 
in healthy Christian and graced forms. Gergen gives his final coup de grace in the form of an attack on the perpetual virginity of Our Lady. Gergen's attack on traditional Catholic morality, notwithstanding, he was ordained a priest of the Dominican order on schedule in 1975. After ordination, he became regent of studies for the province of St. Albert the Great and was appointed to the Dominican Provincial Council. From 1984 to 1985, he served as co-director of the Parable Conference for Dominican Life and Mission based at the Priory of St. Dominic and St. Thomas in River Forest. The Parable Conference is a lay religious national collaborative effort designed to promote the work of the order in ways that are authentic, truthful, and transforming of the human community in furtherance of God's mission in the world. In June 1987, Gergen gave a series of lectures on Christology in which he stated that Jesus of Nazareth is not the Christ of faith and that Jesus is God because we are all gods, quoting John 10.34 as his authority. In terms of personal behavior, Father Charles Corcoran is on record as stating that he, Corcoran, caught Gergen in an act of sodomy with another Dominican at St. Rose in Dubuque. During this same time period, Father Gergen was busy promoting homosexuality in religious orders. He played a key leadership role in the creation of the homosexual collective within the Dominican order and Amchurch. In the homosexual network, Father Rueda notes that during the 1980s, there were 28 Dominicans whose names appeared on the membership list of the Catholic Coalition for Gay Civil Rights. Donald Gergen's name was on that list. Rueda also gave Gergen three dishonorable mentions for his promotion of homosexual rights. Rueda identified Gergen as an early financial supporter of Communication Ministry, Inc., an underground ministry for lesbian nuns and gay clergy and religious, and publishers of a newsletter for homosexual clergy and religious title, Communication. In the February 1980 issue of the newsletter, which served as, serves as a dialogue on the relationship between personal sexuality and ministry for the purpose of building community among gay clergy and religious, a Catholic brother from the East Coast wrote, In the years before I came out, masturbation was my only sexual outlet. After reading Don Gergen's book, Sexual Celibate, and examining my own masturbatory behavior, I came to see it as a substitute for my need to be touched affectionately. When I finally accepted my gayness and began to be sexually involved with others, I have noticed a sharp decrease in masturbatory behavior, so I would have to vote for the side of the argument that the, that, that would say that masturbation can be a positive contribution to one's psychosexual health, providing it is a way of remaining sensual, sensuous, and of keeping in touch with the beauty of the human body. The battle for river forest 
Bergen's hit list. Following his election in 1985 as the prior provincial for the center province of St. Albert the Great College, St. Albert the Great in Chicago, Father Donald Gergen and his associates at the St. Pius V Priory plotted the takeover of the Priory of St. Dominic and St. Thomas in River Forest. At the top of Gergen's hit list were traditional Dominicans Father John O'Connor, Father Charles Fiore, Father Gerald Manns, Landmesser, and Brother Robert Montgomery. Gergen's first order of business was to kick out the Orthodox Dominican priests at Fenwick High School in Chicago, where Dominicans had taught since 1929. Father Landmesser and other older Dominicans were replaced with a batch of Gergen's effeminate young Turks. The principal of Fenwick, Father William Bernacki, later replaced Father Lex Godert as prior of River Forest. Father Fiore, who had warred against the homosexual collective in the church since he entered the Dominican order, fought the battle against Father Gergen to be a hopeless case. He sought and was granted exclustration and later joined the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. He died on February 18, 2003. After months of intimidation and harassment, Father Landmesser also asked to be released from the order. In the end, only Father John O'Connor proved ready, willing, and able to stand his ground for God and the Dominican order against Gergen and company. The battle raged on for more than four years. Father John O'Connor, a life of faith, devotion, and courage. John. O'Connor was born and raised in Chicago. He entered the Dominican order in 1949. After completing a one-year novitiate in Monona, Minnesota, he went to the River Forest House of Studies for three years and later to St. Rose Priory in Dubuque. He was ordained in Oakland, California in 1955. Immediately afterwards, Father O'Connor began his long career as a Dominican preacher, first as a parish priest, then as a college professor of theology and philosophy. From 1969 to 1989, he was part of the Dominican Mission Band and preached throughout the United States, England, and Canada. The Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary were prominent themes in his mission work. In the late 1980s, he found himself once again at home at the magnificent St. Dominic and St. Thomas Priory in River Forest in the central province of Chicago. His provincial superior was none other than Father Donald Gergen. As a faithful son of St. Dominic, Father O'Connor never had any difficulties with his superiors until Gergen arrived on the scene. Father Gergen wanted O'Connor out. In a conversation with Father O'Connor in April 1986, Father Lex Godert, the prior at River Forest, let it slip that Gergen was going to suspend O'Connor on some pretext or another. By this time, O'Connor, due in part to his long association with Father Corcoran, had become a nationally recognized opponent 
of the Homosexual Collective in Amtrak and in his own Dominican order. The fireworks began in March 1987 when Father Charles Finelli, the pastor of St. John Baptist Vianney in Northlake, Illinois, asked Father O'Connor to give a week-long mission at his church. A woman who attended all of O'Connor's talks said that his powerful preaching at the mission had parishioners lining up the aisles for confession and that the crowds grew larger every night. Father Finelli considered the event to be a great success. Not, however, not everyone, however, was favorably impressed with Father O'Connor's preaching. At the next parish council meeting in April at St. Vianney, the members were informed that complaints against Father O'Connor's preaching had been lodged with Cardinal Bernardin, Archbishop of Chicago. When O'Connor attempted to get copies of the complaints, Cardinal Bernardin refused to send them to him. On May 4, 1987, Father Gorgon, in the company of another Dominican priest, Father Jim Marchionda, visited O'Connor at River Forest to discuss the complaints. During a heated confrontation, O'Connor told Gergen that Father Corkin had witnessed Gergen sodomizing a fellow Dominican. O'Connor reported that Gergen told him homosexuality is becoming more acceptable now and let the subject drop. Father O'Connor decided to go on the offensive. On May 13, 1987, he sent Gergen a letter questioning the financial irregularities of the province, especially in connection with the St. Jude Thaddeus Shrine operated by the Dominicans on the south side of Chicago. O'Connor made specific reference to Father Chuck Dom, a member of Gergen's coterie, who had allegedly been draining the treasury of thousands of dollars to finance various left-wing political causes. O'Connor asked for an independent audit of the provinces and St. Jude's financial records. On July 22, 1987, Gergen sent O'Connor a return salvo. Gergen told O'Connor in response to the latter's request for a transfer that he had no intention of reassigning him to another province. Gergen repeated his demand that O'Connor moderate his preaching, stop mentioning people by name in his talks, especially Colonel Bernardin, and stop frightening people with verbal excesses. Gergen stated that he wanted O'Connor to sign a letter of apology to the disgruntled parishioners at St. John Baptist Vianney, who had complained to Colonel Bernardin. Father O'Connor, who had been physically attacked by the husband of one of the complainants, responded they were lucky he was not suing them for assault and battery. On November 3, 1987, Gergen ordered all communications between O'Connor and parties involved in the Paris incident to cease. Gergen needed a new line of attack. On December 2, 1987, one month after O'Connor had returned from a successful speaking engagement in South Dakota, Gergen informed O'Connor that he wanted him to visit a psychological counselor. O'Connor said no dice. Gergen backed off. It was back to the drawing board. In early 1988, Gergen made another visitation to O'Connor at River Forest. 
This time, the provincial stated he wanted O'Connor to stop isolating himself from his community of brothers. He also complained that the head of the province of St. Joseph in New York had requested O'Connor not to enter his domain. O'Connor agreed with the latter, but said that his special dietary and health, health problems mitigated against his taking meals in common with his fellow Dominicans. In April 1988, O'Connor, who had maintained contact with the Holy See on his problems with Gergen, was advised by the Congregation for Religious and Secular Institutes in Rome to obey his superior Gergen, and if all else fails, to consult with and follow the advice of the Dominican Master General in Rome. At this time, Father O'Connor decided not to seek exclusion. He would stay and fight. The rest of the year remained relatively uneventful. O'Connor, as directed, limited his preaching to the confines of his own central province. However, much to Father Gergen's consternation, O'Connor's anti-modernist tapes that include a section against the homosexual collective in the church continued to gain greater nationwide circulation. On March 31, 1989, O'Connor was advised that the Provincial Council of St. Albert the Great had issued an order forbidding O'Connor to preach anywhere. The Council also recommended that he undergo a psychomedical evaluation. In a letter of June 13, 1989, O'Connor responded by asking Father Gergen if he, Gergen, was willing to repent of his homosexual life. The letter was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Two days later, Gergen notified O'Connor that his suspension was fully in effect. On February 22, 1990, after more than 40 years, in the Dominican order, Father O'Connor, Father John O'Connor, was informed by Gergen that the process of his formal dismissal from the order had begun under Canon 696. Fifteen days later, a second warning was sent to Father O'Connor, and formal charges against him were transmitted to the Master General in Rome. In his charges against Father O'Connor, Father Gergen accused O'Connor of giving grave scandal to, by his written allegations against a member of the hierarchy, read Colonel Bernardin, and against his Dominican brothers, read Benedict Ashley, William Bernacki, Peter Wichkonski, Wichkuski, and Donald Gergen. In February 1990, Father O'Connor received a letter from Master General Reverend Damien Byrne in Rome, Prot. 359010, stating that Father O'Connor had harmed the reputation of the Central Province, the whole Dominican order, and his church with his accusations against Bernardin and his brother Dominicans. Reverend Byrne ordered Father O'Connor to engage in a period of prayer and reflection beginning February 20, 1990. He also ordered O'Connor to check himself into the, into the cycle ward at the Guadalupe Center in Cherry Valley, California. O'Connor refused. In the meantime, Father O'Connor had hired a canon lawyer to, please his, to plead his dismissal 
from the Dominican order, but to no avail. Additional appeals to the Pope went nowhere. In the summer of 1991, Rome informed Father John O'Connor that he was dismissed from the Dominicans. Father O'Connor packed his bags and left the River Forest Priory forever. On Ash Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday, February 28, 1990, Father John O'Connor wrote, When I made my vow of obedience 40 years ago, it was first and foremost to Jesus Christ, his mother and St. Dominic, in, a, in obedience to them, only death will silence my witnessing to the truth, to which one can only respond, Amen. As for Father Donald Gergen in 1999, he left the River Forest Priory to found the Friends of God community, a Hindu-style Dominican ashram in Kenosha, Wisconsin. On April 28, 2002, Dominican Fathers Donald Gergen and Richard Woods received the honorary degree of Master of Sacred Theology, STM, at the Dominican Conference Center in River Forest. This award is the highest honor the Dominican Order can confer on its brothers for teaching, research, writing, and excellence in striving for sound doctrine. Father Woods is the author of Another Kind of Love, Homosexuality and Spirituality, yet another apologia for sexual perversion. Woods sees homosexuals as a modern-day version of the suffering servant. By learning to live with their gayness, homosexuals help all men and women to accept their sexuality and help heal society, says Woods. He talks of the joy of being gay and the surprising surplus of true love, profound happiness, and real joy found in individual and corporate gay living. In his introduction to another kind of love, Woods informs his readers that a member of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith found a few passages objectionable for a variety of reasons, but the Vatican censor recognized his book as having much of value. Father Woods currently teaches theology at Dominican University and lectures at Brackfriars Hall, the Dominican College at Oxford University. One final note on Father Gergen. His ashram experiment in Kenosha turned out to be a bust. He has since been made regent of studies in charge of the education of Dominicans at the Aquinas Institute in St. Louis. The Dominicans, an equal opportunity employer. In recent years, the Dominican order has proved itself to be an unequal opportunity employer to be an equal opportunity employer. Not for faithful priests like Father John O'Connor, but for homosexual perverts. In December 2002, the Dominicans of the Central Province of St. Albert the Great in Chicago made national headlines when they approved Patrick Hieronymus Bikauskas, a prominent gay activist, as a candidate for their holy orders. In an Illinois Times article by Pete Sherman titled Ohio Calling, Bikauskas described himself as divorced, a recovering alcoholic, and gay, a political statement with a former partner as well as a brother who died of AIDS. Bikauskas told Sherman that when he first approached the Dominicans, 
at the Chicago province and learned that his order was committed to teaching and social justice, it reminded him of his own strivings, presumably for homosexual rights. On January 20, 2001, he was accepted as a candidate at the St. Dominic Priory on the campus of St. Louis University following an interview with a seven-member panel of Dominican, uh, Dominicans and a vocations director, all of whom deemed him worthy. After basic training and chant and a brief study of the four pillars of Dominican life, prayer, ministry, study, and community, Bikauskas was sent to the Dominican novitiate in Denver. On August 10, 2002, at St. Dominic's Church in Denver, Bikauskas made his simple profession of the vows of obedience, chastity, and poverty, pledging his intention to make him make them the rules of his lifetime. The vows were only were made the vows were made orally and in writing before Father Edwin M. Ruan, OP, prior of Chicago's Central Province, the position formerly held by Father Gergen. In the fall of two thousand two, Bikauskas started his studies at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis. He hopes to be ordained in 2007 and then become a college campus recruiter for the Dominicans. When Illinois Times reporter Sherman requested Bikauskas, questioned Bikauskas about the possibility that the Vatican was thinking about banning gays from the priesthood and religious life because of the clerical pedos scandals. The Dominican novice criticized the idea. Bikauskas said he was offended when people have used the gay issue as a scapegoat for the scandals in the church. Being a pedophile has nothing to do with being gay, he said. He added that the church has been well served by gay priests. For whatever reason, gay people seem to be very successful compassionate pastoral. This is exemplified by the great many people who are gay and join the priesthood, Bikauskas told the Times reporter. The priesthood has nothing to do with sexual orientation. He said, my spiritual form formators say you just have to wait and see that nothing may come of it. Worrying about it is something I'm not going to do, he concluded. There is nothing in the Sherman interview that indicates that Bikauskas has repented of his past life as an active homosexual. The fact that he continues to use the word gay as a political statement demonstrates he is still committed to the cause. Since he approves of homosexuals in the priesthood, there is every reason to believe that as a, report, as a recruiter for the order, he would bring in other homosexuals like himself. Steve Brady, a Roman Catholic faithful, Steve Brady of Roman Catholic Faithful, after reading the December Times article, filed a protest with Chicago Provincial Edward Rain based on Bikowskis' background as an active homosexual, his political activism in favor of gay rights, and his continuous allegiance to a gay ideology. Brady offered that the man was not worthy to become a Catholic priest. On January 21, 2003, Brady received a reply from Father David Wright, O.P., Associate Administrator 
a prior provincial of Rouen and one of Gorgon's former lieutenants. Wright stated that Dominican seminarians are expected to live a chaste life for two years before entering the formation program and that Bekowskis has been fully informed of the requirement for the priesthood. He said that we do not accept anyone in our community who is sexually active, nor do we tolerate any ambiguity on the meaning of celibate chastity, nor do we allow anyone to push either a homosexual and or heterosexual agenda. Wright thought that the article by Sherman was imprudent, imprudent and did not reflect Bekowski's genuine conversion. Several months later, Brady received a similar response from the Holy See, writing on behalf of the Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life, which governs all aspects of religious life, including constitutions, discipline, studies, goods, rights, and privileges. Father P. Jesus Torres, CFM, Under Secretary for the Congregation, stated he believed the Bicocus interview reflected a willingness to break with the past in order to pursue a new life. The letter also stated that prior to his acceptance, Brother Bajkowskis was interviewed not only by the vocations director, but also by a group of seven Dominicans. Torres expressed an elite, expressed confidence in Father Wright's position and said that the Dominican order would try to be particularly solicitous and prudent in judging Bikowska's future suitability both for religious life and the priesthood. And now a reading from the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, for interior penance and sections 1430, 1430. Of our whole life, a return, a conversion to God with all our heart, an end of sin, a turning away from evil, with repugnance toward the evil actions we have committed. At the same time, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of His grace. This conversion of heart is accompanied by a salutary pain and sadness, which the fathers called anime cruciatus, affliction of spirit, and compunctio cordis, repentance of heart. 1432. The human heart is heavy and hardened. God must give man a new heart. Conversion is, first of all, a work of the grace of God who makes our hearts return to him. Restore us to thyself, O Lord, that we may be restored. God gives us the strength 
to begin anew. It is in discovering the greatness of God's love that our heart is shaken by the horror and weight of sin and begins to fear offending God by sin and being separated from him. The human heart is converted by looking upon him who whom our sins have pierced. Let us fix our eyes on Christ's blood and understand how precious, precious it is to his Father. For poured out for our salvation, it is brought to the whole world the grace of repentance. 1433. Since Easter, the Holy Spirit has proved the world wrong about sin, i.e. proved that the world has not believed in him whom the Father has sent, but this same Spirit who brings sin to light is also the Consoler who gives the human heart grace for repentance and conversion. Four, uh, five, the many forms of penance in Christian life. 1434, the interior penance of the Christian can be expressed in many and various ways. Scripture and the Fathers insist above all on three forms, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, which express conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and to others. Alongside the radical purification brought about by baptism or martyrdom, they cite as means of obtaining forgiveness of sins, efforts at reconciliation with one's neighbor, tears of repentance, concern for the salvation of one's neighbor, the intercession of the saints, and the practice of charity, which covers a multitude of sins. 1435. Conversion is accomplished in daily life by gestures of reconciliation, concern for the poor, the exercise and defense of justice and right, by the admission of faults to one's brethren, correctional, fraternal correction, revision of life, examination of conscience, spiritual direction, acceptance of suffering, endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness. Taking up one's cross each day and following Jesus is the surest way of penance. 1436. Eucharist and penance, daily conversion and penance find their source and nourishment in the Eucharist. For in it is made present the sacrifice of Christ, which has reconciled us with God. Through the Eucharist, those who live from the life of Christ are fed and strengthened. It is a remedy to free us from our daily faults and to preserve us from mortal sins. 1437. Reading sacred scripture, praying the liturgy of the hours, and the Our Father, Every sincere act of worship or devotion revives the spirit of conversion and repentance within us and contributes to the forgiveness of our sins. 1438. The seasons and days of penance and the course of the liturgical year lent on each Friday in memory of the death of the Lord are immense moments of the Church's penitential practice. These times are particularly appropriate for spiritual exercises, penitential liturgies, and pilgrimages as signs of penance, voluntary self-denial, such as fasting and almsgiving, and fraternal charitable 
and paternal sharing, charitable and missionary works. 1439. The process of conversion and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son, the center of which is the merciful father. The fascination of illusory freedom, the abandonment of the father's house, the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself obliged to feed swine, and still worse at wanting to feed on the husks the pigs ate, his reflection on all he has lost, his repentance and decision to declare himself guilty before his father, the journey back, the father's generous welcome, the father's joy, all these are characteristic of the process of conversion. The beautiful robe, the ring, and the festive banquet are symbols of that new life, pure, worthy, and joyful of anyone who returns to God and to the bosom of his family, which is the church. Only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. And this is all that I have to read from or comment on now, and so I'll end my podcast here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.